Welcome to the Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams. The heart behind Kindled is to help moms use their gifts for God's glory and their good. We'll chat with real women who are learning how to do this very thing as they navigate motherhood, work, and the grace we need for both. This heart-to-heart is always had over a cup of coffee and usually paired with a business pep talk. We hope you'll find practical advice and the encouragement you need to work well and live more. Welcome back to Kindled. Here we are again, and today we're talking with Heather Borsma. She's an author and a speaker, and we have an amazing conversation for you today, so I hope you'll stick with it. I know it's a little long. It's worth every minute, so I promise you I edited stuff out that didn't even make the cut. So we're going to dive on in and let you listen to my conversation with Heather. Tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you do. Sure. So I am a speaker and author. I've been speaking mostly to teen girls and women for the last 12 years mm-hmm. um, and written, I'm working on my second book right now called Letters from a Big Sister. And the first book is called Dream Big and it was a youth devotional book. Mm. So outside of ministry business stuff. I'm a wife to a crazy <laughs> entrepreneur who is very business business savvy. Mm-hmm. I always say he's the one in our relationship that knows how to make the money and everything that I like to do just costs. Us <laughs> <money>. <laughs> hey, I get that. I get that. Yeah. And then I have three crazy, beautiful children. Uh, Cohen is seven, Claire is five, and Byron is just about nine months old. That's awesome. It's so fun. So what, how did you get into writing and, and speaking? Um, like what, what did that start look like for you? So I first started speaking actually, and that was through an organization called Beautiful Unique Girl. And they were touring across Canada and the U.S. And mm-hmm. Somehow I had a connection and ended up speaking on that tour for a couple of years, which kind of launched me into other kinds of speaking events. Mm -hmm. And the writing kind of just followed with the speaking because it felt like a natural pairing to create resources. When people would hear me speak, then I would have something to sell. I usually say I'm a speaker who writes, not a writer who speaks. I Mm. prefer to communicate via talking as opposed Mm -hmm. to writing. But um, yeah, I like that. Hand in hand. Yeah, they do. They do. And I feel like, well, I guess based on just my perception of what I, what I hear from other people is that it seems like a lot of people start writing and then they kind of launch that into a speaking career. Is that true? Or do you feel like it's like half and half? I feel like you kind of have to be both now if you want to do one or the other. So yeah, I have heard of a lot of people, um, writing books and then being really encouraged to do speaking tours and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, so they do really go together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, tell us a little bit about like your history, how you grew up, your family and kind of what brought you into the work that you're doing today with women. Right. So I grew up, uh, in a Christian family and I've always known the Lord. Uh, but what really pushed me to make my faith my own was I was severely bullied as a kid and Mm -hmm. a young teenager. And that left me with very few friends. So literally Jesus actually became my only friend. And that relationship became very real 
to me when I didn't have people to hang out with. And so I would sit in my room and read my Rebecca St. James devotional book and read my Bible. And that's actually when I started writing my first devotional book when I was in eighth grade. Um, That never became anything, but (laughs) it was a little seed of what was to come. And even though I had an amazing family and amazing support, I still felt very alone and isolated and like I really needed Jesus. And when I needed him, he was really there for me. And my faith became uh, a huge part of my life at that point. Mm, wow. That's a hard, like a hard way to, to come to need Jesus. Can you share more about like why you were bullied or what caused that as a young kid? I just, I hate hearing that, especially as a mom, you know, like realizing yeah. like that's, that does happen and that's real. Yeah. Yeah. I have a daughter too. And it's a big fear of mine that she'll experience what I experienced. Uh, There wasn't like a real obvious reason why I think I had a really big personality and a big mouth Mm. (laughs) and maybe that turned people off, but it wasn't like a clear reason why. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the good of it was that I, like I said, became really close to the Lord in that season. But I also learned to be myself. And because I wasn't in the pressure of like a group that I was trying to fit into, I was able to really explore who I was and what I liked and what I wanted to be about without those pressures. Mm -hmm. And then when I did start to kind of make friends more in um, high school, it was... Um, a lot easier for me to just be myself and to stand up for what I believed in and now to do the ministry that I do because I can so relate to the pain that teen girls are going through. Mm, Yeah, seriously. And that was your first book was um, Dream Big, right? Yeah, Dream Big was a lot of my own personal story and how to discern with God what your dreams are, what you're created for, and how to take practical steps towards making those dreams a reality. Mm, Wow. I feel like I should have had that book when I was in high school. Um, Because I I mean, those kinds of concepts are really familiar to me now that I'm an adult, but I, I wonder what it would have been like had I been thinking about that as a high schooler. I mean, which I'm right. sure is a big piece of like why you wrote it because, you know, the, the sooner we start realizing and thinking about those things, like the, the more it can actually impact and benefit our lives early on. Yeah. And I think in high school, there's a lot of pressure, like go to college or university and get that degree and, you know, fit into that Mm -hmm. societal role, that expectation. And I just felt this thing of like wanting to bust out of that and say, no, like if that's your dream, awesome. But if you don't fit inside one of those boxes, like there is a path for you too. And, um, it's okay to like break the box. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so tell me about the book that you're now working on. Yeah, so Letters from a Big Sister is it's a collaboration. So there's 12 different authors who've contributed short letters that they're writing to their big their little sister uh, about something they went through as a teen girl that was really challenging and a truth they wish they would have known at that mm-hmm. time that could have helped them through that experience. So the mm-hmm. idea is we want to give our little sisters a leg up and help uh, our ceiling become their floor so that they can go further than we Mm -hmm. were able to go. 
And then every letter I expand on and create the chapter. So I pull out some of the truths that were mentioned. I give more um, biblical backing and practical ways to apply what you've learned from the letter. Wow. Was this your vision or in your concept? Yeah, I actually had a dream at night, like three years ago, and woke up with the title Letters from a Big Sister. Wow. And I told my husband about it. And he, like I said, he's the business one in our relationship. And he was like, this is a brilliant idea. You would be able to work with so many different people who have their own, you know, circle Mm -hmm. of influence and be able to get the message out so much further. Mm -hmm. And so just in January, uh, a year and a half ago was when I felt God say, it's time to write this book. And that's when I began reaching out to people and getting it all together. Yeah. That is so cool. I didn't realize that this was like kind of your baby and your, your idea. So, and I kind of love that you and your husband have been able to partner in this and you've kind of had this vision and this dream and he's helped you understand how to maybe like take that into the world and get it, you know, get a bigger reach with it, like, which is so smart. And, but also, um, you know, not just smart from a business sense, but there's also like, and you could probably speak to this, there's a reason that those people with larger followings that have influence, that they have that. There's a reason. It's because people yes. connect with them and like girls and women and females like hear pieces of themselves in those people's stories. And that's what right. makes them so, um, you know, easy to follow along. Most people are just very keen to pass on the truths that they've learned to the next mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Women, uh, especially ones who have influence, I think have that because they've realized we always do better when we partner together. We're always more effective and we can reach more people and we're mm-hmm. more um, influential together. And we don't have to stay separate. We don't have to compete. We can actually do more together for the kingdom than we can do apart. Yeah, I love that. What's the target age for the book? Yeah. So the age is probably like 15 to 20. So I think there's a lot of book. Well, there's not a lot of books for teen girls, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are out there are mostly for preteens and Mm -hmm. they're very pink and flowery. And sometimes I think they come across a little bit cheesy, but for that age is probably okay. But I don't think there's much out there targeting like the 18 year old girl that doesn't Mm want to read the pink flowery Mm -hmm. Uh, book. She wants to read something that looks like the anthropology catalog, right? Right. So that's kind of one of the inspirations, uh, not anthropology specifically, but like to target the Mm -hmm. 20 year old, you're still going to get the 16 year old then if Mm -hmm. you get the 20 year old, right? Yeah. I mean, there was just nothing like that when I was that age, like nothing at all. I don't even remember. I think the only like books I was reading were things like I Kissed Dating Goodbye or like, which I mean, like that's a whole nother conversation, but I, (laughs) you know, it just wasn't, there wasn't necessarily anything like not just on the topic. I feel like everything was sort of just like relationships and don't have sex or, you know, or I don't know, like you said, Rebecca St. James, I loved her and like point of grace and what was it like out of Eden, Zoe girl, like those, those role models of like what it could be like for me to be a, a, you know, young maturing Christian woman, because there were just, that was kind of it. Like it was like Christian music. I feel like was the only 
um, sphere of like being able to find like influence in that way. I mean, I don't, I just don't remember there being like, maybe I just was out of touch, but I don't really remember there being anything like that. And we didn't obviously have Instagram and Facebook. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't even remember, like, how did I find out about things? (laughs) I have no idea. I went to the bookstore, I guess. Yeah. Totally. Bought a CD. Yeah. And as a girl who was like really searching for that stuff, I couldn't find it when I was Mm -hmm. that age either. It's like you said, it was the few Christian music artists that would Mm -hmm. create um, some kind of resource, but there wasn't a lot. And honestly, there is still not a ton for teen girls because it's it's a tough market. Really, you're selling to the moms of teen girls or the big sisters or the, you know, the mentors, counselors, youth workers, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I love that. I'm glad that you are, you know, I'm excited to see what you do with that in that space. So let's talk about how you mentioned to me in um, your message that you, you messaged me on Instagram and said that you teach about working from love instead of for love. And that like particular line resonated with me right away because, you know, that's been a theme in my past is like working for approval. And I don't think I realized that I was doing that, um, for years and years, just how intimately and integrally tied my identity or feeling loved was to my work and to like the, the things that I was creating. And so that really resonated with me, but I'm interested to hear your take and where that, you know, stems from in your own life. Right. So first of all, I just have to share one little story from the Bible Mm -hmm. about Jesus before he did any ministry, before he healed anybody, before he fed anybody, before he did a single thing, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And when he was, there was the, the clouds opened and the voice from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Before he did anything, God gave his approval to him. Mm. And when I read that, it gave me, like, I get goosebumps just thinking about it right now because Mm -hmm. that same approval is the approval that God gives to us before we do anything. The moment that we were conceived, even before that, when he dreamt us up, we already had his approval. We already had his love. We already had our value simply by existing in his mind and then in reality. And when we are able to connect with that truth and operate from a place of being a daughter, what we do is so much more powerful. It's so much more effective eternally. And also it protects us when we fail because Mm -hmm. instead of feeling like I am a failure because I failed, I know I'm a daughter. First of all, Mm -hmm. that love is secure. And so I can try and fall and it has nothing to do with my identity. Mm-hmm. And to come to this realization, I spent a lot of years living the opposite, living with fear of man, living with a huge performance-driven mindset because I wanted people to approve of me and I wanted God to approve of me. And I didn't really recognize, I knew in my head that I already had that approval, but I didn't have that revelation in my heart. So what kind of like triggered that for you? Was there an event or what in your life like prompted you to start, you know, shifting the way you thought about this? Yeah. So there was an event. I had a panic attack on an airplane coming home from a speaking event. Uh, That was about four years ago. 
And I'd never dealt with anxiety, depression, anything like that in my life. And I, it just sent me into a whole year of intense anxiety and panic attacks. And I just knew that my body and my soul were trying to tell me something. And through counseling, through medication, through a whole bunch of vulnerability with close friends, I started to realize that I was being so driven by people pleasing and performance that it was driving me into anxiety. And Mm -hmm. that concern about what people thought and the approval and whether or not I had enough events booked on my calendar. And it had kind of driven me to this place of overcommitting, being way too busy. I had two small kids and I was speaking every month and writing a book and, you know, all this stuff just because I wanted to feel significant. Mm -hmm. And once I started to peel back all those layers and I actually stopped speaking and writing for almost two years... Uh, which was really hard because it's my passion, mm-hmm. but also so much of who I was, who I am was wrapped up in that. And so I had to just let myself kind of come undone to realize like, even when I have nothing booked on my calendar, I'm still valuable to God mm-hmm. and, and not even just to God, but to the world, I have something significant to bring to the world. And it doesn't have to just be through speaking and writing. It can be through my presence in a room. That, again, resonates a lot with me and where I'm at. And and that I feel like God has laid on my heart of pursuing this thing that you've been created to do, that you've been given a passion for. But I think what's very dangerous about like this whole conversation of, of work and women and motherhood is that we can so quickly go from rightly pursuing the passions and dreams that God has given us to now finding our full identity and hope and everything that we are in them. And then they, we become a slave and we, mm-hmm. we actually, it's not a freeing, beautiful thing that God's given you and this gift that you are enabled to enjoy in this life and they're and also bring glory to him through it's become your master mm-hmm. and it's such an easy um shift to make and you know glad we're talking about this because um i can get really excited about talking about just like you know pursue the pursue the things that that are on your heart like if you have this dream you have this this thing that you love and you're good at it and you can find this alignment like you should go for that but at the same time like especially as a believer, I know that if you think that pursuing that thing is going to make you happy, I know you'll be sadly disappointed and sorely disappointed. I mean, I know that will leave you wanting. And so it's a, it's kind of a hard thing because you're like, you know, and, and you are an entrepreneur and you are doing something like that God did put in your heart, but there was a season where you had actually put that away and you stopped doing it. Um, what did that like, what did that look like? And how did you know that you needed to do that? Was it just like, God told you, like, put this away and trust me? Or, you know, how did you do that? Because, I mean, being someone that's like very much a doer and achiever, I mean, that sounds like the hardest thing <laughs> for me to, to imagine doing. I'm sure it was hard. Yeah, it was really tough. I, I felt like the Lord told me to stop speaking and writing. And that was in January, not the same January that I started the book. Okay. Um, and it took me till May to stop booking events because I was just like, I don't want to not do this. Like what is left if I don't do this? Yeah. And uh, when I did stop, it was super hard. I got like 
three requests the week after I stopped, of course. And I had to say no. But what that did was it forced me to sit down in the mess that was around me because I was riddled with anxiety at that point. And I had to deal with it. And if I kept just moving forward and being busy and doing all the things, I was ignoring the pain. I was ignoring the mess. I was ignoring my heart condition Mm -hmm. really. And, and I didn't feel like God was like wanting to sit me down to like have a talk talking to with me. I felt like he was wanting to sit me down to love me Mm -hmm. and to bring healing and to realign my thinking with his, to renew my mind because I was building my life on wrong beliefs, I guess, or just kind of an, uh, I had to make an adjustment back to the Mm -hmm. truth. And that was a really tough season. But I think here's the thing for, especially for anyone listening that can relate to this, what that looks like for you will be totally different than what it looked like for me, because God intimately knows your heart, your needs, your passions. And if you get quiet with him on a regular basis, and you just ask him questions, he will answer you. Mm -hmm. And he will tell you what it looks like for you. And you will know when it's time to lay the thing down and when it's time to, to pick the thing up. And I always encourage people when I'm speaking or just in friendship, like intimacy with God is the key. Mm-hmm. It is the thing that will help you to know when to give and when to not, when to say yes and when to say no, because my no is different than your no. Mm-hmm. And my no is even different in this season than it was in the one before. So I think that hearing his voice and having that um, consistent relationship is such a key for all of this. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, I know this is like a hot topic. Everyone talks about social media, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But I do believe that, you know, especially just the world of Instagram and instant comparison at your fingertips makes it really hard. If you're not in a place where you have an intimate relationship with God, you are looking for that direction and that guidance at the easiest, the the quickest place you can find it. So, you know, you open your app, you're okay. Like, well, I look up to this person. What are they doing? Let's see how they're, Oh, she's taking a break from social media. Oh, she's starting a new business. Oh, she's writing a book. Like Mm -hmm. maybe I should be doing one of those things. And you know, it's so like any one of those things could be right. But if you are trying to look external of yourself to find that answer, you're not going to find it. I mean, when I say external, I mean, we need to look look for God to God, but not just Mm -hmm. to other people. Um, and, and I think, you know, I have to remind myself of that in my own life that just because someone else is doing something and I might feel like this FOMO or like, I'm going to miss out if I don't do that thing, that doesn't mean that's where God has me or wants me to go or that he has me on the same mission as them. Even if I agree with their mission, like that's great. I can support someone and say, like way to go cheer you. I'm cheering you on. Like I'm on your side and I'm in your corner, but that's not for me right now. And that's not my lane. And I'm going to stay in my lane, the lane God's given me, whether that is, you know, the two kids that are sitting at staring at me looking for entertainment and I need to be present with them. Or that is, you know, today I have a babysitter and I need to go be really productive at a coffee shop and get some work done. Um, and it, it can be so challenging. I mean, especially like, especially when you are doing, you know, doing any sort of work and, um, and being a mom and you have these multiple roles, like it's super hard not to let guilt and comparison like seep into your heart and mind. 
And I mean, just anecdotally, like today, I actually felt a lot of guilt this morning. I had my sister scheduled to come babysit. She was here yesterday. And so I texted her and was like, actually, let's cancel because I felt like, you know, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to have her come two days in a row. Like I want to, you know, we have this every other day thing going on. And if she comes two days in a row, then I'm neglecting my children. And so I canceled her and then was like, you know, sort of like regretful that I canceled her because I really did have a lot to do, but it's like, you know, and there's no right or wrong answer. Like, it's great to spend time with your kids. It's great to work. It's fine. Either way is fine. But it, I found that like, gosh, like I've still, you know, I still make decisions sometimes out of guilt and out of that, that place of anxiety or fear, fear-based decisions, you know, like if I do this, then I'm not a good mom. Or if I don't do this, I'm not a good mom. So I don't know. I know I'm not alone in that. I know it's just no, you so, so common, but. And I think a big thing that helps, um, that is when we learn to be a daughter, that that's our very first role and priority is being a daughter. Then we learn to show ourselves grace. And I think one of the hugest things that I learned in that season was to be kind to myself and say, you know what, some days I'm going to actually choose the wrong thing. I'm not going to do it on purpose, but I am going to choose the wrong thing, but that's okay because I'm a daughter. I'm not a failure because I failed. I made a mistake and I'm going to do it different the next time. Um, and when I got free of that people pleasing, which I mean is a process, but I'm more free now than I was before. It also helped me to um, let go of that guilt. And it helped me to um, also not try and be like the perfect mom. And the bonus of that is that now my kids have a mom that's real and kind to herself. And they're learning that for themselves. They're learning that they don't have to be perfect, that they can mess up. And when they mess up, they can show themselves grace. And those are the kinds of kids I want to put into the world. I don't want to put perfectionistic kids into the world who have to struggle like I did. I want kids who are quick to show themselves grace and quick to show others grace. And that realization was huge for me as a mom. It changed the way I mother. It drastically lowered the amount of uh, screaming and yelling I was doing as a mom. Yeah, Because so much of that was motivated by wanting them to be perfect and wanting myself to be perfect and thinking that when they messed up, it was a reflection on me and all that stuff. It all comes back to that identity. It all comes back to that operating from love instead of for love. Yeah. Oh, I love everything that you're saying. And it's so, it's such a freeing message. Um, It's almost like, I don't know, the, the words that came to my mind, it's almost like the gospel of failure because when we fail, I'm not saying that the gospel is failure, but when we fail, like that proves Jesus's righteousness all the more. That proves our need for him and our dependence on him all the more. When we're perfect, like if we are to be perfect, which we're not, but it, let's say somebody actually really is like upholding the law that they don't need Christ. Like they don't need to be saved, but it says that he came for the sick. He came for those who were broken. He mm-hmm. came for those who were hurting and you know, and without hope. And he came when we were still his enemies. And like Mm -hmm. you said, before we did anything right, before we took any step in any right direction, he already made us right before him. And so, I mean, it's almost like, I think, you know, for anyone out there who is identifying with that, 
that feeling of like, gosh, I just feel like I'm failing on so many levels or at anything I'm trying to do, I feel like I'm falling short. I'm never meeting the mark. That is where the gospel comes in and completely turns our concept of what failure is on its head. How can women step into and take, I guess, like hold of and live in the freedom of that truth that, um, you know, that we're not working for love, but we're, we can work from love. Like how do we practically make that our reality? Right. So one of the things that I kind of go through with people either one-on-one or in groups is figuring out why we do the things that we do. So for example, when I first started speaking, a huge part of why I did it was because I liked seeing people's lives transformed. Mm-hmm. And the feeling that that gave me was it gave me a feeling of significance. So that's kind of like this triangle that start, starts with the wide part at the top being what I love to do and narrowly focuses down to like who I am. Mm-hmm. So that's how I was operating. But when you flip that triangle around and you start at the top being the pointy part of I already am significant, then what you can do is unlimited. The possibilities of what that looks like are endless. And it's not just about, for me, it wasn't just about speaking is it and making sure I have this full schedule is where it's at and all of those things equal significance. It was now I'm already significant. And out of that place, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to create? And I found myself thinking like, oh, I actually... Well, the crazy thought was, I actually want to have another kid. And that's Mm. why I ended up having a third child because I had been falsely believing that having another kid would slow down my ministry and business Mm -hmm. um, because I attached that significance to um, what I was doing rather than who I already was. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think it's, it's, it seems to be a message that like the Holy Spirit is honestly like, um, speaking that truth into a lot of women, if I'm already okay, if I'm already like, um, significant, then I can really ask the the real question is what do I really want? And, and that's where what God has put into our hearts can truly come alive and can truly be, you know, used for his glory. That's a lesson that I have been just hugely learning this past year. And I think I'm, I'm seeing like in, at least in the feeds of people that I follow, like I am seeing really a similar theme. And I, that is like a burden that I think a lot of people have and need to hear that truth. Yeah, for sure. And one of the questions I ask myself to kind of remain in that place is, am I pushing to try and make something happen Mm -hmm. or am I being pulled into something? Mm -hmm. Because I think, we get confused with like hard work and hustle. And we think that that means then that things are going to be hard. Yeah. So I ask myself, am I pushing up against something or am I being pulled into something? Because both feel like hard work, but one is led by the spirit. And so there's sustenance and there's what we need to be able to accomplish that because it's something he's asking us to do. And the other one is just us trying to make something happen for our own whatever significance mm-hmm. or value or purpose or to fill our calendar. 
And so that's a question I often come back to. Um, am I being pulled into this by the Lord or am I just pushing, trying to make something happen? Yeah, that's such a helpful distinction. I don't think that I've ever thought of it that way, but I absolutely will from now on. And I think a lot of times we can sense that, um, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you call yourself a Christian and, and you know, you know, and you have a relationship with God, then I, I think that we often do have that sense of unrest or a sense of peace, even when we know this is like the hardest work I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And yet, there can be peace in the midst of mm-hmm. that. And there can be yes. certainty that it is what you should be doing. Even if you're like, I don't see how this is going to happen or how this is going to work, but somehow I just know I have to do it. You know, I know yeah. that I am in the right place right now. And, yeah. um, and like you're saying, like that is because God will provide, like if he calls you there, he will create what you need in that circumstance and in that situation. Yeah. I, one of my pastors says, follow your peace. So if you're having like, for example, a decision that you have to make and it's two great options, like which one, where's the peace, which decision Mm -hmm. carries the peace. And that's the one to follow. I've come to really believe that like my peace is far too expensive to give it up for Mm -hmm. something that's going to give me, you know, a moment's gratification. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just way too valuable. I just, I I don't want to give it up so easily. Yeah. And like that can be a helpful guide, even as we're considering, you know, two good, two good options. Like, cause Mm -hmm. often what we're deciding between is not a right and a wrong. It's like, these are both good options and you might be fine and be happy and be like within God's will, quote unquote, um, to choose either one of these. For sure. I love that. And I think along with that, sometimes it's the recognition, like, uh, that when you say no to somebody, they are actually going to be okay, Yeah, you know, and we often are so hard on ourselves, but the people around us aren't usually as hard on us as we are on ourselves. Yeah. But we anticipate this like backlash of like, Oh, I'm going to say no. And like everyone else is going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. ruined and they're fine. They're just fine. And it's us taking that pressure off ourselves too. And going like, okay, even if I say no, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. It doesn't mean I'm a bad sister, a bad friend, a bad wife. Like it's just like you said, choosing to go with our peace and choosing to go with that greater why. Yeah. Yeah. It's all really good. Um, so you, you talk some about anxiety and Mm -hmm. I know you mentioned you had some panic attacks for a season. It was like about a year you said, I think, right. Yeah. I, um, I got some health news and Mm -hmm. at the same time, like for myself, some genetic testing was done. And I found out that I have this breast cancer gene, basically. Mm. It's like the Angelina Jolie Mm. breast cancer gene. That's how most people kind of Mm. know what it is, but it increases my chance of getting breast cancer to 80 to 90%, Oh wow! which is pretty intense. Mm. And at the same time that I got that news, I was watching a close family member die of cancer. So that kind of combo plus the busy schedule, two small Mm. children, And then all the people pleasing performance and all that that was going on, just my body started to shut down and be like, nope, we are not doing this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I actually so appreciate that part of my body now. Like 
the way that our body actually signals to us like, Hey, pay attention. Something's not working here. Um, I used to kind of resent that and, and even the anxiety I like really resented. And then I started to realize like the anxiety is not actually my enemy. Yeah. Like the anxiety is just trying to tell me something. Mm. It's just trying to get me to pay attention to my life. And so I was able to take a step back from everything and start to kind of unpack like what were the roots of this anxiety for me. And I dealt with it really like on all fronts, body, soul, and spirit. So body, I had to change my diet. I had to cut out caffeine. I exercised more. I was way more intentional about getting really enough sleep. Soul was like counseling and being super vulnerable with close friends um, and just pursuing connection, like deep connection with a few people. Mm -hmm. And then on the spirit level, I learned a lot about how the spirit of peace is already inside of us because we have Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's one of the fruit of the spirit. And so I could actually tell that peace that's inside of me to take the lead and tell my body and soul to come into alignment with that spirit of peace. And that's something I would like physically out loud do like on a daily basis was I would just say spirit of peace, take the lead body and soul come into alignment with peace. And it was just this like habit that I started and eventually I didn't need to say it every day, but um, it's still something that like has been a really helpful tool for me to just remind myself and remind my body and my soul, like you're not the leader. Mm. Like I have the spirit of God inside of me and that is who is leading this show. <laughs> yeah. That's so. so cool. I, I love all these, like, I feel like I'm hearing some of this for the first time, but that's really, I, I really like that. And I think because it's not just, um, you know, it's not like something hokey or like spiritual in us in a worldly sense it's truth like it's actually true that if you have the spirit of god inside of you he is leading and we often are allowing you know we're just kind of like letting the physical world kind of take over and be blinded to the reality of the spiritual world that is ever present yeah yeah and that that's super helpful to like remind yourself and speak the truth to yourself and preach the gospel to yourself and i would imagine that like the more you do it the less like you said like you have to say it because it becomes a part of you and you rem- you just mm-hmm. like know that that's true you talk about a little bit i've i've seen a little on your instagram you talk about anxiety business tips so like how do you integrate that truth into your life as an entrepreneur and as someone that is building a business and does have a to-do list and does have like tasks staring you in the face every day like we all do how do you let that truth reign in those day-to-day moments when i am certain you know it can be overwhelming especially if you have three kids um you know what do you like how do you approach your day-to-day to-do list and your tasks yeah so there's a couple things that come to mind the first is i am starting to be more and more of a believer in like figuring out what the one thing is, not just the one thing for the day, but like the one thing for this season, even that's like the priority in terms of business. So that's like, assuming I'm already taking care of my family, my marriage, my, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And then in this category of business, like what's the one thing. And for me in this season, it's the book. 
-hmm. It's writing this book and promoting this book and getting it out into the world. Mm -hmm. So all the other ideas that come through my head and there are a bazillion of them, as I'm sure you can relate to, Mm -hmm. um, I'm just constantly shifting those to the side and going, not right now. That's not the one thing. And I'm asking myself, does that task or that idea contribute to the one thing? And if it doesn't, then it's off the table for right now, because I know how limited my time is. If I was doing this full time, maybe I could pursue a few of these different ideas at the same time, but I have such limited time. So that's kind of like a big filter that I use as I'm making decisions about the tasks I'm going to spend time on. And then it also kind of helps direct, like when I am on social media, am I using it for the one thing? When I'm writing content, is that content I'm creating related to this one thing or not? If it's just other like random, I had an idea content, it's not going to happen right now. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And then the other is, and this is more way more practical is like, I know that I do my best work in the morning. And if I try and do a whole bunch of creative content creation type work in the afternoon, it makes me anxious. My head gets foggy. I start to feel overwhelmed. I start to rush. So I just don't do it. I just don't do it anymore. I now, if I don't have time in the morning, then I'm just not doing that work that day. Mm. And I'm finding the tasks that I don't that I don't need as much of that mental energy. Those are the ones that I'm going to accomplish today. And I'm just going to leave that creative, innovative work for another day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that's kind of more of a practical thing. And when I step outside of that, I often feel anxious. And so I've kind of learned like, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own time that is mm-hmm. that they're at their best, but it, yeah, you're not going to create your best work. Um, and you ultimately, it's like, I mean, I have done this a million times, but like where, you know, your kids go to bed, it's about right now, like eight or eight thirty, And you're like, okay, finally, I'm going to sit down and get this thing done. That's been on my mind all day that I know I need to, you know, make some progress on. And you sit down and like, for me, my husband and I will watch a Netflix show and I'll like be on my computer, um, working for a little bit. And I'm like, not at all plugged in. I mean, not only because am I like watching whatever's on Netflix, but I'm also just like, my heart isn't here. I don't actually want to be doing this. I just think I should be. And so I, you know, I have it open in this sense of like, I'm being productive, but I'm not actually really present in there. And, and it's the exact same thing you're describing for your afternoons. I just feel more anxiety, you know, it's like when I close it and go, you know, I'm not doing this tonight. Like, I guess maybe tomorrow, (laughs) like maybe, maybe then and do that. Yeah. I can, you know, it's very different than how I used to be even 10 years ago. You know, I think like Mm -hmm. I used to be able to, I mean, 10 years ago, I didn't have kids and I was, you know, a lot more able to just like stay up till 1am and like work my butt off and burn the candle at both ends, but I can't do that anymore. So it's just knowing where you're at in this, in your season. and, And there's definitely times where like we have to, push through hard stuff and mm-hmm. and just get things done. Like if you're meeting yeah. a deadline, yeah, you're going to be working late or you're going to be working times where you don't feel awesome. But yeah, in general, knowing yourself enough to know like, okay, I need to like prioritize that mental energy when it's there and allow myself the freedom to work at that time and not the times where it's not going to be good. Well, and you said something else there about 
being present. And I think that's a huge thing too in combating anxiety in your business um, is trying really hard to bring yourself into the present moment as much as possible. If that means like you're having a coffee with somebody, like you're not thinking about the other tasks, you're not like checking your phone, you're not doing all those things that pull you away from what is right in front of you. Because when you're present in that moment, that moment has so much potential to lead into other things, to bring new connections, to inspire a new idea. But when you're distracted in any moment, really you're missing, you're missing what's right in front of you. You're missing the opportunity. You're missing the the potential. So that's something else that, um, I've been trying to practice more is bringing myself into the moment, being present. And, um, especially with people like not trying not to think like, Oh, I could be doing this or I should be doing this, but really to be there all in. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So can you, one, one last topic I, I want to talk to you about is spiritual growth or I think mm-hmm. you say spirit growth. I don't know if that's, if you mean the same thing by that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like what, what does that mean to you and how do you, um, do you talk with women about that in your coaching sessions when you're working with them and like, what, it, what do you coach them on? Yeah, definitely spiritual growth is a huge topic I love to get into because I feel like it's, like I've said before, it flows so much into every aspect of our lives. And I really believe that intimacy with God, and to me, intimacy with God is not just ticking off all like the Christian things we're supposed to do, but actually having a creative, alive, active relationship with him where there's conversation going on, where there's interaction, where there's freedom for it to not necessarily always look like reading my Bible and writing in my prayer journal. Like that might not be how it looks in this season. And that's okay because I'm in a relationship with a person who adapts, you know, just like any friend adapts to the different seasons of your life. Yeah. So I think that intimacy and growing that intimacy is really what I always come back to. And I feel like God always says to me when I'm like, what's the next step? What's the next step with my book? Or what's the next step with coaching? Or what's the next step with anything? I feel like he always says to me, intimacy. And I'm like, do you not have another answer for me? Like you've been giving me the same answer for 10 years. And he's like, because that is the answer. When we're doing what we see the father doing and saying what we hear him saying, that is when we're living the fullest possible life we can live. And that's what Jesus said. He said, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what I hear the father saying. So he never moved unless he first connected with God and felt and saw that that was how God the father was moving. Mm-hmm. So I I want to imitate that. And in order to do that, I know I need to be tapped into that source and um, daily listening to that voice and asking questions and not moving until I get his answers. Yeah, I love that. That's, it's so true. And it's so easy for us to think that we can do it without his, you know, his daily input or his daily help and get, just be independent and pretend like we're, we're okay. But, uh, but even if we feel okay, 
it does not equal a full life. You know, even if we feel like we're managing and like, well, my head's above water. So I'm okay right now. Thanks God. Like that's not the, we're not going to be experiencing the, the life that he has created us for and that he's basically even got waiting for us to show up for it. It's the one that is right there in like that alternate reality that you're not living because you're doing it all by yourself or you're doing it all in your own strength and you're not submitting it to him or in an intimate relationship, which I think we should probably describe a little bit about what that, what intimacy means for someone who might be like, yeah, I hear that word. How do you like personify that? That's great. I read a book a couple of years ago. Well, actually it was 15 years ago called, Can You Hear Me? by Brad Jerzak. And it's a book all about listening prayer. And so the whole concept is that we spend so much of our prayer life talking to God and leaving messages on his voicemail, essentially, Mm -hmm. and not really expecting him to respond. But again, because we have Holy Spirit inside of us, we have this connection to the heart of God where we can ask questions and he can actually answer us. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. people are hesitant to this because they're like, well, it's just my own thoughts. Like yeah. if I ask God, do you love me? Of course I'm going to hear yes. And that's just because mm-hmm. my brain will just be saying yes. And to that, I say, how often are we okay with entertaining negative thoughts and thinking that they're coming from us when really they're coming from the enemy Mm -hmm. But we're not okay with thinking that a positive thought, something good might be coming from God. Yeah. And I, I think we need to kind of expand our understanding of God to go, he actually created our imagination. So when we're imagining something beautiful and good that lines up with truth, Mm -hmm. that is God. Uh, When we're feeling love, wherever the source is like our, with our children, with our spouse, with a friend, that is God. Because mm-hmm. he is love, right? Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we need to um, just put aside our doubts, even for an experiment, and ask a question and listen and really invite Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we will be surprised how clearly and how personally he will answer us. So for me, that's what intimacy looks like. It looks like asking a lot of questions and creating space to stop and listen and wait for his answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love everything that you just said. And I think it is a hundred percent true. And I know in my own prayer life, when I do take the time to actually listen, it is just completely different than when I am throwing up prayers, like kind of those emergency 911 call prayers, like God, help me get through this. Help me with, help me be patient or help me like get to nap time. Whatever is the situation where I'm like, I feel like I don't have what I need. But when I'm not in that place and I'm like sitting and just whether I'm kind of meditating on like a a question or a prayer or a a thought and just sort of like being open and being like present in that moment and waiting to hear something and like expecting to hear and expecting like, God, you have to answer me because you say you will. And I expect to hear from you right now. So whether that's through the confirmation of what I already know to be true about you in the scripture and you bring a scripture to mind that I already know and have memorized or, you know, is familiar to me, or you lead me to a passage that I've never read in this context and that's going to speak to me right now, like whatever, however it is, like 
you are capable and, and willing and, and actually long to meet with me in this moment. So I'm not going to leave until you give me an answer. And when you were talking, I thought about um, tonight when we were playing in our bedroom with the girls, um, sunlight was streaming in the bedroom window, just like bright. It was like the sun was kind of going down. It was like really like a, just, it just burst with like sunlight. And I told my almost four-year-old probably like a year ago, I told her every time she sees the sun or she sees the light of the sun, she sees like, you know, if it's cloudy and you see the silver lining and you know, that means the sun is there. That's like God. And I said, seeing that light of the sun can remind you every time you see it, that God is real and he's always there. Even though sometimes the clouds hide him, we can't see him. It looks like he's gone. He's never gone. And so like, she just always associates, like if we're driving and it's bright and sunny, she's like, Oh, I see Jesus, you know? (laughs) So it's so cute. But as the sun like kind of just started streaming in actually, and my two-year-old had wanted, had she had been singing Holy, Holy, Holy. So we were playing that song for them, which is like, this is not our life. Like we're not always like worshiping, (laughs) but it was just like this moment. And so Holy, Holy, Holy was playing and Isla saw the sun streaming in and started going, Oh, God is here. God is here. She was like, the light of Jesus, the light of Jesus. And I like started crying. I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is so beautiful and so true. And it was just, it was so cool to see that like that truth, like she was, you know, doing exactly what we're talking about. She was, she was present in that moment and like receptive to, you know, God being present. And I was like, he is here. You're right. Like God is here. And it was just like such a beautiful reminder that we get so caught up in like whatever we're doing. And for me at the moment, it was folding laundry and putting it away, Mm -hmm. but she was dancing around (laughs) to worship music. And the Holy Spirit was obviously present and reminded her like the light is God. He is here. Jesus is here. And then she started saying, it's Christmas. (laughs) 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 No, it's not Christmas, but it's really cute. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) It was just so precious. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) That gets me like chills all over because yeah. And our kids are so in more, so much more in tune than we are because they are so present that, that's the beauty of the faith like a child thing is not just that there's no doubt. It's also that there is so much presence. Mm -hmm. And when we bring ourselves back into this moment and even like becoming aware of our breath, like, you know, there's the whole breathing exercises and all of that. And it can sound a bit like hokey and that sort of thing. But the truth is he is our breath. He is that close. And if we can stop and pay attention to that and reconnect with love and reconnect with the fullness of who he is and that he holds us all together. It's love that's holding together every cell in our body. You know, when we connect with that, that's so powerful. And that's for me what it means to work from love instead of for love. It's Mm -hmm. the fact that I am held together by his love. And that's what I have access to all of the time. And if I can create from that space, that means what I'm putting out into the world is multiplying that love for other people Mm -hmm. to experience. And that's all I want to do. You know, I don't really want to grow a platform and build a business and make a whole bunch of money. I, I honestly just want more people to experience what I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And that is 
the, the acceptance and love of the father and the healing and the abundance and all of that comes from, from him. So, yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, just, I think that this is going to be so freeing and, and just like filled with truth for anyone that listens. And um, that message of like working from love instead of for love is definitely going to be resonating for me for a while. And I think it's a good, just like x-ray question, I guess, to ask yourself, like in, in any given situation, like when, especially when anxiety does start to creep up, like, am I working from a place of knowing I'm loved and accepted or am I trying to work for it? So I think that's awesome. I'm going to ask you the three questions that I ask every guest. As a mom of three, you've got to have like, you've got to have some systems. What is your best organization or efficiency tip? Okay. So my best tip for organization and efficiency is to ask yourself uh, the task that you're going to do. Is this the only time that you can do that task? So for example, when your kids are napping, there's often this like pull to like clean up and fold and wash the dishes. And like, Mm -hmm. I like a tidy house, but I can do a bunch of that stuff when the kids are awake. I can't sit down and have, um, some time to write or to answer emails or to do that sort of thing while they're napping. And I am constantly asking myself that question now because my windows are so short and trying to pick the most productive task for the little chunk of time Mm -hmm. that I have and then fill in where I can. So for example, now I often listen to podcasts while I'm going for a walk to pick up my kids or in the car dropping them off. And that's like some learning time, you know, whereas normally I would have maybe read a book, but right now I'm not reading books. So mm-hmm. it's just yeah. finding like the most productive task for the window of time that yeah. I have. I completely agree. And I have said that on the show before that I do not clean when my kids are asleep. Like at yeah. night I will, because we've probably made a mess downstairs and been playing and stuff. But like during, right. during the day, nap time. No, I'm totally on the same page with you. So what do you do for fun? For fun? Well, right now I (laughs) eat a lot of ice cream for fun. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) Because it's like one of the one things that we as moms have control over is like what we're eating. This is probably not a recommendation, but it is what I do for fun. (laughs) Um, that, and I also, if I can get by the water, that is my happy place. So we have, um, my parents have a cabin, so we go there and go wakeboarding and wake surfing and swimming. And that's my very favorite thing. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. I love the water. Get me by the water. All right. So ice cream and water for fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you're just, you're easy to please. And And then what helps you rest and restores you? Sleep. (laughs) I love to sleep so much. I'm like an eight hour a night girl if I can, which right now Mm -hmm. I have a nine month old, so that doesn't happen. And so because that doesn't happen, I have gotten much better at saying yes when people offer to help me and asking people for help especially with my kids. I used to be so against this, not really in beliefs, but in the way I lived, I was against it. I thought, you know, they're my responsibility. I'm the one that should be looking after them unless I have like a doctor's appointment 
or, you know, something that I cannot get out of. And I've changed my mindset on that now and gone like, you know what, if I can get away for an hour during the day mm-hmm. and ask my mom to watch my kids so I can go and get like a manicure or mm-hmm. so I can go, uh, to the dentist or stare and address at a that wall yeah, or stare at a wall. <laughs> no, actually I read this the other day that when you stare at the horizon, it gives you the same burst of endorphins as when you exercise. Oh, wow. It doesn't burn calories. <laughs> right. I was like, I could be saving money every month by not paying to go like work out somewhere. <laughs> but that same like, um, endorphin thing comes mm. from just staring at the horizon. Hmm. So yeah, you're right. Just sitting, moms often say like, all I want to do is just go sit somewhere and just stare. And there's yeah. a reason for that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, Heather, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom. And how can people find you online, connect connect with you, and then find out when your book comes out? Yes. So the easiest way to connect with me is on Instagram at Heather Borsma. And then I also have a handle for the book, which is at Letters from a Big Sister. And then I also have a website, which is just heatherborsma.com. Awesome. Okay. Well, we will get people over there. We'll link all of that in the show notes. And yeah, I'm excited for people to hear this and just be encouraged. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure just getting to hear a little bit of your heart and learn from your wisdom as well. So I really appreciate it. I hope that this episode came at a perfect time for you as summer has likely made itself known to you in your life that it is not as restful as you might have thought if your life is looking anything like mine and that in the midst of our busyness and our work and our striving that we can be brought back to a place of soul weariness that actually leads us exactly where we need to go to the living water to the one who reminds us that he already loves us as we are, regardless of the work that we're doing or not doing. May you start this week knowing that you are already loved. You don't have to work for it. There is no better truth that I could start my week off with than knowing that God's love for me is not contingent on my performance or outcomes. Next week, I'm talking with Holly Mackle, the author of Same Here, Sister Friend. So another um, really fun episode, and she is a comedian, so get ready to laugh. Don't forget, you can connect with me on Instagram at Kindled Podcast, and you can screenshot this episode right now and share it with your friends. Let them know that you're listening, and it truly makes my day when I see that you are enjoying it and that the episodes are meaningful to you. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next week.